Let's uh, pray and we'll get started. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, are up before your word again. You designed our spirits in that we, find that we are saved and that we are refined and we are um, transformed into the image of Christ and we become the light of the world through the preaching of your word, through the preaching and the hearing of your word. Father, you have done marvelous things in this church through the proclamation of your word, and we pray for that the mighty work to continue. Father, we are going to talk about what it means to be a light in the world. I pray that may, we, may you give us a clear understanding of, of what it means to be a light. May, us, may you give us a clear understanding whether we truly are light bearers or not. And if we are not, I pray that you will, you will use this time to, to, to convert people so that they will bear the image of Christ in this world. All these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So um, we are continuing our study in the Sermon on the Mount. And we are, um, it's part two of last week's sermon. Last week we talked about what it means to be salt of the earth. Um, I think you should all listen to it. That's pretty good. Um, it seems like self-promoting, but it really isn't, right? It, it, was, it, was, a, it, was, it was a good sermon. Not that I, because I did it or whatever, but it's whatever. So neither here nor there. So this is part two of last week's sermon. So, what we need to understand, right, like, the Sermon on the Mount is part of the Gospel of Matthew. And one of the the main points of the Gospel of Matthew is that God is building a new kingdom, right? That Jesus has come into this world to build a new kingdom, to usher in a new world, right? And sometimes we forget, but that's what we need to clearly understand, that what, what God is doing in this world is he's making for himself a new world. And that's why Jesus came. That's why in the Gospel of Matthew, the motif of the kingdom of God comes out very frequently. Because Jesus has come to usher in the new world. Right? And we need to have that in our mindset. Not just today, but constantly we need to have that mindset. Right? I know a lot of us get bogged down on the everyday aspects of life. Right? We get bogged down with our work, our families, you know, driving kids to Little League or birthday parties, right? You know, like fielding emails from impossible clients, all that stuff, right? And we get bogged down in the everyday details of life. But you need to constantly be reminded that, yes, God is, exists in the details of your life, and he certainly leads you in the details of your life. But you need to frame your life in a greater picture, greater reality in that God is using your life right now to build a new kingdom. The purpose of your life right now is for God to use you to build a new kingdom in this world. God's purpose for you is not for you to be happy, wealthy, and healthy in this world, but to use you as a salt and light of the world. Because the way he builds the new world, I'm telling you, is he rebuilds the new world, number one, by making people into new creation, and number two, using those new creation to be the salt and light of the world. That's God's method of building a new world. Number one, once again, how does he build a new world? Number one, he makes people into new creations. And the people that he makes new, he uses to be salt and light of the world, and that's how he transforms the world. So if you are a Christian, if you are a new creation, you are a tool for God to build a new world, and to, to God to build usher in the new world. First point, God really does make people into new creation, right? He does. That's how he builds a new world. How do I know? I'm a, I'm a plugger of Friday night prayer meetings. It was really good. And you know what I realized as I was praying with these lovely people on, fr- on Friday evenings? I realized while we were praying that I'm praying with new, new creatures, new people who are new creation. Everyone that attended that Friday prayer meeting, which was a lot, thank you for coming, I can honestly say they're new creations. I knew them, right, five years ago. Man, I'm coming on my fifth year anniversary. And they are t- totally different people from, from when I met them five years ago. They are absolutely new creation. Some of them were, were raised in the church and some of them weren't. Some of them, this is the first time they ever came to, Embrace is the first church they ever attended. But whether they're from a Christian, raised Christian or not, they're a new creation. 
And as new creations created people come and pray, it was a marvelous thing. God absolutely does make people new. And that's part of his design to build a new world. And not only does no, no, not only takes, he takes, makes people new, he takes the new people and he displays them into the world. Jesus says, a city on a hill, right? You are a city on a hill, Jesus says. What that means is, the people that God makes new, he displays to the, in the world for the, so the whole world will see what a Christian is. So if you're a new creation, your purpose is to be displayed to the world, to, to tell the world who, who Jesus is. To, to not only tell the world, but to show the world who Jesus is. Not only that, Jesus said, not only are you in display, Jesus said you are a light, right, in, in a house. And, you, and the purpose of a light is to shine, is to expose the darkness, is to expose the darkness and make the dark corners of the world bright. For example, like America, right? America. Like, the difference between America and Korean homes is if you go to Korean homes, there's like ceiling lights everywhere, right? But what I, what I realized about American homes, especially the American homes in this area, ceiling lights are like, in my house, I think there's only like, a kitchen has a ceiling light, and the basement has ceiling lights. Other places, other rooms in the house, I need to get a torch light, right? Go to Home Depot, $20, right? Go to get a torch lamp, and you got to place those torch lamps strategically in the different places of my house, right? That's what, you got, that's what Jesus means. What he means is, what God does is, after he makes the person new, like me, after Home Depot, he takes that new person, and he strategically places those people in the dark corners of the world. So that through those people, his light will shine. And by, by the dark corners of the world, I think what he means, all of us are placed in dark corners of the world, and the dark corners of the world that he placed us in is the place of our work, is in, a, in our families, is with a group of unbelieving friends. That's the dark corner of the world that he has placed you in. Do you understand? If he made you new, he's purposely placing you in the dark corners of, of the world. I love talking to all of you, and what, what the common denominator that all of us have as I talk to you over lunch or coffee or whatever is all of us have crazy families, right? You talk about everyone here has dysfunctional families, right? And oftentimes I'm telling people, the reason God saved you, it is so that through you, your dysfunctional family will be saved. That, and I think that's true. If, if, you are grow, if you are changed, if you are a new creation in Christ, the reason why God has allowed you to be born into the dysfunctional family, it is so that you will be the light in your family. The reason why God has given you that job, right? The reason why God has placed you in the place of work, it is so that you will light his light in the dark corners of that office. For the Christian, work is not just how fulfilled I am, right? How much I'm getting paid, right? How well I'm treated. That's what the world thinks about a job is supposed to be. Us, our workplace is the mission field. And the primary reason why God has placed us in that workplace is to shine his light in the dark corners of that office. Even if you don't like your job, even if you like your job, I can honestly say it really I mean, it matters, but it really doesn't because that doesn't change your mission. In fact, the more you shine his light in a place that you don't like to be in, God gets the greater glory. In, I think first Peter, Peter is saying, what's the reward if you go to a place and where they treat you well and you treat them well who treat you well, what's the reward in that? Peter says, be faithful, be good to those masters who mistreat you. God gets greater glory in that. Do you, do you dislike your job? Praise the Lord. Go shine his light. Because that's how God creates this new world. Right? That's the purpose of a Christian, and that's how God creates the new world. But of course, not every, not every person who claims to be Christian, is the light of the world. That's what we talked about last week. Just because you claim to be Christian, it really doesn't mean that you are truly the light of the world. Right? We can claim all we want, but only those who genuinely belong to him. 
Only those who are truly belong to him are the light of the world. How do you know whether you are a genuine Christian? How do you know you are a genuine light of this world? That's where the be attitude comes from. Sermon on the Mount is about the be attitudes, right? The first part of the Sermon on the Mount. The first 14 chapters about the Beatitudes. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Beatitudes are, is listed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are merciful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are impure in heart. These are the qualities of what a Christian looks like. Jesus is saying, right, if you are a Christian, if you are in the presence of God, these are the qualities that you start to inhabit. And it is these people who possess these qualities are the ones who serve as genuine salt and light of the world. When you're in the presence of God, you will be spiritually poor because you know when you're truly in the presence of God, there's nothing that you can do to earn God's favor. And yet he made you his child anyway, and you're floored by the way he loves you. When you're in the presence of God, you're aware of your sin, and yet you also know God has been merciful to you by, by forgiving your sins. And when you know that your sins are forgiven, you are floored by His grace and love. And when you understand His grace and love for you, you become meek. Meekness is knowing that you have no, you, basically you have, you have no right before God. Which means, like, you, do any, you, you go anywhere, you do anything that God will tell you to do. That's what it means to be meek. So the person who is poor in spirit, the person who is merciful, the person who is meek, that's such a, pe- pe- such a person God uses to shine his light in the world. If you have no idea what it means to be poor in spirit, if you have no idea about the mercy that you received in him, if, if, hung, if righteousness, doing the right thing is not an interest of, to you, that despite what you claim with your mouth of who you are, you're not going to be used to God at all. Do you understand? It is perfectly possible for you to serve the church for the entirety of your life and you don't see any fruit from your ministry. It is perfectly possible. I know good-natured men and women who are raised in the church and who think serving the church is a good idea, is a nice thing to do, and they serve the church until they're old. And yet, even though they serve the church for 50, 60 years, there's no, their ministry doesn't make any difference in people's lives. There are tons of people like that. And the reason why that is so is because even though they have been raised in the church all their lives, they really don't know what it means to be spiritually poor. They really don't know what it means to receive mercy from Christ. They really don't know what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness. They really don't know what it means to be pure in spirit, pure in heart. They can be in here and not know who he is. And if you don't know who he is, you're not going to be the light of the world. Because if you're not, if you don't know him, what is on the inside of you is exactly the same as the world. Despite your outer external identity of what you think you are, if internally you don't know Christ, that internally you are no different from the world and you cannot change the world by being exactly like them. God uses his people to be the light of the world. Once again, Jesus is not saying you, are, you will have to do, being the light of the world doesn't, mean, doesn't necessarily mean certain activities that you do. Being the light of the world means a state of existence. If you are a Christian, you will be the light of the world. You cannot help but to be the light of the world. If you are not in Christ, no matter what you do, you will not be the light of the world. Do you understand? Sounds kind of harsh. Not not my words, but the words of Christ. Why are only those people who are in Christ the light of the world? Because Jesus himself is the light of the world. Jesus is the source of light. Jesus himself is the source of light. And when you are in Christ, when his light shines forth from you, you cannot help but to change the world. 
give you an example. Tim Keller does, wrote an article for the Gospel Coalition. And he says, do you know why early Christianity thrived? Christianity was, began a small sect in the Roman Empire, but it began to grow. Even in the midst of persecution, it began to grow. And you know why they did it? You know why God, you know how they grew? It's because the Christian and the, in the early Christians, they lived contrary to the cultural norms. They were different from the world. For example, in the early Rome, right, it, is, it was customary to, if you have a child, and if you don't think that child is, you know, a good fit for your family, then it was perfectly acceptable to throw that child and kill that child, drown that child. It was perfectly possible. If you read Plato's Republic, right, he says one of the ways society thrives, Plato said the way, one of the ways you, like, you make society thrive is if you look at an infant and think that the infant will not add to any value to society, Plato says, go and kill it. That jerk. Infanticide was a very common practice in the Roman Empire. Christians did not do that. In the early Roman Empire, much like our society today, premarital sex, sex outside of marriage, before marriage, outside of marriage, it was accepted. Sex with children were acceptable. People just had libidos and they can go sleep with whoever they want. Christians were the only sect in the Roman Empire that says sex is between a husband and a heterosexual relationship between husband and wife. People are sleeping around. Christians were only valuing sex within the confines of marriage. Roman Empire were idolaters. They idolized little idols and little, they worshiped little idols so that the little idols can do something. They worshiped it so that they believe those little idols can do something for them. Right? They worshiped their Caesar, their, their king. But Christians were the only one who says, Jesus is Lord. And they lived it accordingly. Christians were really generous with one another. Whether that you, you are Roman or a Jew, no matter where you're from, they, they were truly diverse. They truly accepted one another. Rather than showing racism and favoritism only towards their own race. Christians lived contrary to the, to the norms of society. And because they lived contrary to the norm of society, two things happened. Number one, they were persecuted. When you shine the light of Christ in the unbelieving society, the world will come after you, the world will harass you, the world will persecute you. And that's exactly what happened to the Christians. But not only were they persecuted, as they lived the light of Christ in Roman society, even though not only were getting killed off, their numbers grew. Because through their lives, the other unbelieving people in the Roman, Roman, Roman culture start to believe and start to, see Jesus, start to see the light of Christ, and they started to become believers. So they were persecuted, and yet they were used by God to convert other people. That's exactly how what a light is supposed to be. When you shine your light, when you are a Christian and shine the light of Christ in, in the dark corners of your room, the dark corners of, your, of the world, you will be harassed. You will be called stupid and a bigot. And at the same time, you'll be used to convert other people. And you can only do that. You can only do that when you are in Christ, when you shine the light of Christ. Why? Because like I said before, Christ is a source of life. Christ is a source of light. It is only when his light shines forth through you that you can be the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. What does it mean for Jesus to be the light of the world? I'm, I'm going to repeat myself here, right? But this is basically what it, is, what it means. Um, one second. Where am I? So what does it mean to be, for Jesus to be, what does it mean for Jesus to be the light of the world? And then to answer this question, you go to John chapter 1. The first, the first few verses of John chapter 1. What does it mean for Jesus to be the light of the world? John chapter 1, verse 1. Jesus is the logos, right? Jesus is the person and this person is the foundation of existence. He is the reason in which all the everything, not, not, not you know, the cause, but he is the, uh, he is the mind that caused all realities to be. 
right? He is wisdom himself. He is the person, right, that is the source of all foundation of reality. He is the mind of the universe. He is the coder, as Ricky says, and we are his programs. He found found everything. He is the source of everything. He is the mind of everything. That's what it means for Jesus to be light. Another thing for Jesus to be light means he is the creator, right? In, in, In John chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Which basically means he made everything. Everything that is. Whether you, whether you, me, that plan out there, that, that what, is it, what do you call that? Table over there, right? <laughs> he, he, everything, all the atoms and the molecules that are comprised to make matter. He did it. He made it. Once again, he codes the coder and all things came into existence through his coding. Do you know all, everything in the universe is about information? Your cells talk to each other. The ground and the plants, they speak to each other, right? There is, this, the, the, there is a physical laws that, that, that evolve, that, 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 that governs the solar systems. Everything is a, it's, it's a stream of information. Jesus is the one who created that information that, that, that made existence to be. Not only that, John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, He is the source of all physical life. He is the source of life. He's a source of physical life, and he's a source of spiritual life. Everything that has life is because he created it, right? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus being light means Jesus is the one who reveals God. Jesus is the glory of God. How do you know who God is? Look at Jesus Christ. That's exactly who you know how God is. Look at Jesus Christ. And Jesus also, what, when, when, when the Bible says Jesus is light, it means not only recognizing these qualities of Jesus, but, it, but Jesus means light means. Jesus is someone that you follow. Jesus means light means. Jesus is someone that you follow. How do you know? In John chapter 8, Jesus said, John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. When he made the statement, I am the light of the world, he made the statement during the Feast of Tabernacles. Right? The Feast of Tabernacles, so the Jewish, Jewish nation, Jewish culture, has a, has a lot of major, like, has, I think, three or four major holidays. And one of the major holidays of the Jewish cu- culture is the Feast of Tabernacles. In the Feast of Tabernacles, the Israelites are, are remembering God's deliverance th- when they were wandering in the desert for 40 years. And the way they celebrate God's deliverance in the, in the desert for 40 years, what they do is, at night, right, they, li- they light the entire tabernacle, the temple. They light it. Uh, in the tabernacle, there are this, these huge candelabras. You know what a candelabra is? It's like a chandelier, right? With like huge, it's a huge chandelier-like type of thing with, with big candles, big torches that surround the candelabra. They light it. They light torches. They make, they, they light up the temple. And the reason why they light up the temple is because they are remembering the way God delivered Israelites during the, in, in the desert is that he delivered them, he led them through the torch of fire. Remember that? And in the afternoon, God, God led them through a cloud. In the evening, God led them through a fire. So the light of God in the Feast of Tabernacles symbolizes that God is someone that you follow. When Jesus said, and Jesus made that claim, I am the light of the world during the Feast of Tabernacles, what he means by this is, I am the God who created you, Israel. Jesus says, I am the God who delivered you, Israel, and I am the God who led you, Israel. You are the way you are because you followed me. When Jesus says, I am the light, he means I am the person not only who created you, is not only the foundation of reality, not only he's a coder of all things, he's someone that you follow. Jesus means, light means, Jesus is someone that you follow. When you see Jesus for who he is, and when you start to follow him in your life, Jesus says, then you will have life. Seeing Jesus as who he is and following him in obedience in your life, in, in, in your life that's how Jesus' life and light flows through you. Recognizing for who he is and following him. If you recognize who he is but not follow him, 
that you are not in his light. Only those who follow are in his light. You can declare, proclaim yourself to be a certain way, but if you're not following him, that you are not in his light. And if you are not in his light, you are in darkness. Jesus created the world from a state of chaos. Jesus made all, all things live. Jesus controls all things. Jesus is the author of life, and therefore you follow him. But if you don't recognize him to be those things, if you don't follow him, you are in darkness. What does it mean to be in darkness? Scripture has a lot of definitions of the word dark. He uses the word darkness in many different ways. And I'll tell you some of the ways that the scripture uses darkness. Darkness is described as disorder and chaos. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, right, God made the heavens and the earth. Before God made the heavens and the earth, it says the world was formless and empty, which means it was dark and empty, which means the world was in chaos. There is no purpose. There is no meaning. Everything is just uppity duppity, there's just chaos. Out of chaos, God, God, out of the dark chaos of existence, God created the world, right? So to be in darkness means, means you are in chaos. If you do not follow, recognize Christ, and if you do not follow him, what happens to you is you are in darkness, which means you are in chaos. Being in chaos means you don't know what you're, you don't know where you're from, you don't know what you're for, you don't know where you're going, you have no idea about anything. It's just chaos. And the best way that I can illustrate chaos is teenage movies, right? Teenage movies of all places. I hate teenage movies. I hate them, especially these days. Why? Because every teenage movie is this. I'm rich. Whether, you're, whether the kid's rich or whether the kid is poor, all the teenage movies have this in common. I don't know who I am. Life is meaningless. I'm going to do destructive things. My parents don't understand me, right? I, I live a meaningless existence, right? That's what basically all teenage movies are, this life of chaos. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm for, right? My parents are dumb. Therefore, I'm going to do, I'm going to do drugs and live a, live, a, live a reckless existence. Those teenage movies are examples of what chaos is. You have no idea where you're going. You have no idea where you're from. You don't know what your life is about. And because you're so confused, you do things that are destructive, that are not good for you. And the more you do those things that are destructive for you, the more chaotic your life becomes. Right? People are in chaos. Not following Christ, not recognizing Christ, not following him, chaos ensues. Another definition of chaos I'm sorry, another definition of darkness is no truth. It's ignorance. Being in darkness means you're in, we are in ignorance. We don't know the truth. We have no desire for the truth. We either have no desire for the truth, right? We, all we desire is just things. Yesterday I went to Tyson's Corner Mall. I don't know why I went, but I went, oh, to buy my kids some shoes, right? I went to the mall, and like, I haven't been to the mall, I haven't been to the mall in a while, Right? And you could see people just like entranced, looking for pretty things, right? Looking for things that, that can, you know, buy stuff. All the stuff that they already have, They're like wandering to buy stuff that they don't, they don't really necessarily need. Because I mean, come, let's be honest, what can you possibly, what, what does Tyson Corner really sell you what you need, right? They don't sell you food or anything. There's, you know, sunglass hut. Do you really need a sunglass? Anyway, so, like, so you don't, so you are, you are not, you're disinterested in truth. People are. And, and when they're disinterested in truth, all they really care about is desire, lust of their flesh. Or even if people care about the truth, their idea of truth is, is wrong. So people either don't care about the truth. Being in darkness means people either don't care about the truth or the truth that they think is right is actually wrong. I'll give you an example. So for, for all of you who are Korean, I'm, I'm sorry for non-Koreans, Please bear with me. There is this guy named uh, JYP. You know JYP? You know JYP, right? And JYP, he's like a really popular producer, a singer-producer in Korea. And he's old. He's like my age. He's like old. And when he first came into the scene, right, JYP stood, stood for the progressive sexual culture of the day. 
He says, when he first came into the scene in the early 90s, he says, oh, Korean society is so repressed. We need to free our sexuality, right? So he did, he, like, every interview, he was like a, like a, like a, like a, like a, you know, an advocate of free sex, right? Like, destroy cultural norms. Let's, let's, let's go crazy. He even shot a new photo album of himself. Ew, right? And so he was this really progressive guy. In every interview, he advocated his progressiveness. I think two years ago, I saw an interview with him, and he changed. And this is what he said. He said, you know, when I was younger, I thought certain things were true. But now looking back, I'm embarrassed by those things. I wish I could gather all the stuff that I said, all the stuff that I believed in was right. And I wish I could lay them out in a table and get a trash bag and put it all in trash can. He's saying the thoughts that the things that I thought were true and right when I was a young man, now as an older man, I know they were wrong, they were false. When you are outside of Christ, to be in darkness means the things that you think are absolutely true and right, it's not really true and right. So people either don't care about the truth or they, they, think that, they think the wrong things are true. They live confused lives. That is, a, that is what it means to be in darkness. To be in darkness also means, I've got a long list. To be in darkness means immorality, immoral acts, and lovelessness. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about those who, people who are living in darkness act sexually immoral, greedy, and idolaters. Rather than living in love, they live sexual, sexually moral lives. They live life full of greed, lust for power, lust for things. They live for idols that can serve what they need. When you are in darkness, when you don't recognize Christ for who he is, and when you don't follow him, you will follow other things, and the things that you will follow are your idols. To be in darkness also means to be in the dominion of Satan. Satan is the ruler of the dominion of darkness. And if you don't see Christ for who he is, if you don't follow him, then you are following Satan. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 is about. And what does it mean to follow Satan? Follow Satan means not like, it's not like you sacrifice animals and like hell Satan. That's kind of dumb, right? Following Satan means you follow his craft. He, he crafted like a philosophy a sense of culture and values. He crafted, he, like, he, he, he carefully systematized certain sets of beliefs and values, and you follow those systematized values and beliefs rather than following Christ. I'll give you an example. Well, yesterday, so I took my family to Korean barbecue, right? I don't, I'm not going to tell you which one because you might listen to the sermon. But, you know, it was a Korean barbecue. And then again, he would know because I went to his barbecue yesterday. So I went, so I went, I went to Korean barbecue yesterday. And when I was eating, the, the, the server was one of my old former students, right? And he goes, oh, Pastor Jay, oh, what's up? Like, right? And it's kind of sad because I know I had to give him a huge tip, right? I can't give him 20. <laughs> so sad. I go, oh, man, I got to give him a huge tip. So, you know, so like, you know, but like, and he, he fed me well, right? I said, can I have some more of this? And he gave me a like, stack of this. Can I have more of that? He gave me a stack of this, right? And so, yeah, we got, we got talking. I was like, he was cooking the meat and we were talking. I wasn't talking to my kids. I was talking to him because I'm a good dad. So, you know what I mean? So, like, and I, so he said, what do you do, Pastor Jay? And I go, uh, I work, you know, I'm at SPC. You still there? Go, yeah, unfortunately. Right? And he goes, I'm fortunately. Right? Oh, praise God. Right? And then, and then where do you work? Uh, I work in a law firm in D.C. <gasps> law firm in D.C. Oh, wow. When will I ever work in a law firm in D.C.? When will I ever escape this barbecue, you know, like cooking business? When will I start serving these barbecues? And when will I start working? When can I ever be like you, Pastor Jay? That's more or less what he said. I give you, I, I use this example as this. The way Satan wants you to follow him, he's not promising you darkness. He's promising you shiny things. Don't live for Jesus Christ, Satan says. Don't live for truth. Don't see if Jesus is who he is. That's not what is important. What is important is the shiny things in life. 
to my server yesterday. Shining things of life is a law firm in D.C. Maybe to you a shining, shiny thing is like in a good career. Maybe to some of you a shiny thing is a bigger house, a well-manicured lawn. Maybe a shiny, shiny things to you is, I don't know, getting married. You see what it is? Satan dangles shiny things. You go, oh. He doesn't take you away from Christ by, 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 you know, like, like, by criticizing Christ. He doesn't do that. It's more subtle than that. I mean, he does that. But the way he tempts people, it's through the shiny things. Isn't that how he tempted Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve. If you bite that, if you eat that fruit, you're going to be like God. Oh, you don't need it. You can make it all your own determination. <gasps> yeah, 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 yeah. Shiny things. Is he dangling shiny things with you? When you follow those shiny things, you will not follow Christ. I think a lot of Christians in America are not effective lights in the world. Because they are pursuers of shiny things. Unbelievers are pursuers of shiny things. And if you pursue the same thing that the unbelievers pursue after, how can you be the light of the world? You know what I mean? Being darkness also means hopelessness. In the Psalms, right, David says, you know, like the psalmist, like, you know, when he is in deep of depression, he describes his soul as being in darkness, a sense of hopelessness, meaninglessness, a sense of condemnation. There's no future for you. You're worthless. You know what I mean? Darkness. Have I ever told you? I'm not going to tell you the whole story. Have I ever told you about the, my, my, my deep, my, I busted ghosts. Did you know that? In this, in this church, I, I exercise demons out of a person. Not one of you, Right? And so, like, I didn't, I'm, to make the long story short, as I was praying for that person, as demons were inter, like, in him, right, how do I know? Because as, I started, as soon as I started praying, he, like, like, he like, oh, my head, and he fell down, and he, like, started, like, complaining, and he started shaking. And I said, oh, that's new, right? <laughs> and so, I'm like, oh, do I call Daniel? Do I call one of those big guys? What do, what do I do? I'll pray more. So I prayed, right? And so I was praying, and I was exercising demons. But what I felt as I was exercising that guy is I felt the spirit of condemnation and hopelessness. You know the same feeling that you get when you, when you condemn yourself, when you call yourself a loser, a nothing? You know what I'm talking about. That spirit was in that guy. That's what it means to be in darkness. That you're hopeless. When you are outside of the life, when you, are out, when you don't recognize Christ for who he is, when you don't follow him, hopelessness and darkness will set in. Darkness also means futility. You, all, you live for things that do not matter. You pour your life into things that do not matter at all. And I see this everywhere especially among the successful people that I grew up with. My father, my brothers, like the people that are close to me, they pour their entire life into something, into one thing, into their careers, and they pour their entire life into it. But then their career suddenly becomes over, and they realize, what have I lived for? And that happened to one of my dad's good friends. One of my dad's, one of my dad's best friends was like a four-star general in the Korean army. Four-star generals are really high. And to, to, get, to be a four-star general, you have to devote your entire life to your career. Like you can't work 40 hours and go golfing and be a four-star general. Right? You have to be a bad dad. You have to like send your kids to counseling because you, are, you, like you ignored them. That's how much devoted you have to be to a four-star general in Korea. And so after this fourth star, after, you can't go anymore. I mean, you, to, you can be a five-star general, but that's very impossible. So after four-star general, he had to retire. And this is a show. So every time like, he will enter into the army base, right, 
the, 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 the soldiers in the gate says, right? It's a big deal. And the guy goes, right? And when you leave the gate, I'm leaving, right? He says the last time he was leaving the base, when the last time the soldiers saluted him, and he knew starting tomorrow they're not going to salute him anymore. He felt an emptiness that he never felt. He devoted, one, he devoted his entire life to that one thing. And within a 24-hour period, that one thing was over. What has he lived for? It's like that, you know? I know parents who live for their kids, and their kids become really successful. They did. But then their kids become divorced. Then their kids cause this, like, problems. And they realize, what have I lived for? Darkness means futility. You think something is important enough to devote your life to. But when you actually live for it, and when you actually, unfortunately, when you actually get it and lose it, you realize, what is this all for? The darkened mind is a futile mind. You live for things that do not matter. Outside of Christ, your mind become futile. Your values become futile. So outside of Christ, your life is chaotic. You live immoral lives. You don't know what you're for. You don't know where you're going. You live for things that do not matter. You follow the carefully crafted system of Satan. Shiny things, and the shiny things that don't, don't really matter. And you're confused. That's the life outside of Christ, you know. The world recognizes this. The world recognizes futility. The world recognizes, I think, certain parts of human condition. The world recognizes that people, you know, people are broken, people are depressed. The world recognizes all these things. What, what is the world's solution? Materialistic philosophy. You know what materialistic philosophy is? It's a philosophy that says what you really need is external change. So if you're immoral, if you're living an immoral life, the world says, what you need is more education. If you just give a kid enough education, that kid will rise up right, to be a better adult. So how do you cure society's evil? Better education. Does education really cure a man's immorality? Does it? You know Jeffrey Epstein, the, the, the convicted child molester or whatever? He went to Cooper Union. You know what Cooper Union is? That's like the most exclusive school in New York. That's a really hard school to get in. He went to NYU. He was a school teacher. A Jewish, well-educated school teacher and a billionaire did what he did. Do external factors change an individual? Do external factors give hope to an individual? The world seems to think so. I had a friend. I met another friend yesterday. Yesterday was like best of Pastor Jay's like stand at Messiah. I met another guy yesterday at, at Tyson Corner Mall. And you know, and I remember him. Like, and he had a really rough child, and he had he has this like a savior complex, right? And he said, and by meaning, it's like he's he's from a d difficult home. And he really wanted to be a doctor. And he, the reason why he wanted to be a doctor is that he thought that if he somehow became a doctor, then his broken family will be healed. So he was studying really hard to be a doctor so, because he thought being a doctor was, his, it was a solution to his family's brokenness. And I asked him, hey, you think, and I said, hey, you think, you know, so how much does a doctor make, you think? I don't know, $250,000. All right, $250,000. If you... Calculate $250,000 in a monthly income. Your monthly income will be around, I don't know, what's $250,000? Monthly income will be around $13,000, $14,000 a month, right? You mean to tell me $13,000, $14,000 a month will cure your family of all their division, of all their strife, of all their tiredness and weariness? You think $14,000 a month will cure them of all that? He goes, no. Why do you think that, why do you think that it will? 
Why do you live as if, why do you live as though it, it, it will? He's like everyone else. We think we're just a house away or a career away or something away from peace, from clarity, from love. So we're, we're, we're only a girlfriend, a wife away from eternal love. Guys, is that true, those who are married? Are, you only, are, are the single guys only a woman away from eternal love? Someone's, someone's shaking their heads. How dare you? There's nothing, that's the thing. There's nothing that you can throw at it to make the chaos go away, to make the hopelessness go away, to make the morality go away, to make the meaninglessness go away. There's nothing you can throw at it, you know? The only thing you can throw at it to make it go away is the light of Christ. Because Christ is a source of life. Christ is a coder of life. Christ is everything. People need to see the light of Christ. That's the only way out of darkness. How can you give them light if you don't have the light of Christ in you? Like I said before, it is perfectly possible for you to do a certain thing called the ministry and not shine the light of Christ. It's perfectly possible for you to do that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul describes his ministry as treasures in a jar of clay. Fantastic. What he means by that is, he says, what what I am is I'm just a jar of clay. Me as Paul, all my education, all my status, it's just a jar of clay. It doesn't mean anything. What makes me valuable, what makes my ministry valuable is a treasure that I have inside. And that treasure is Christ, he says. His ministry is all about revealing Christ. Revealing what he has on the inside. Revealing the light of Christ to the world. That's what his ministry is all about. The name Apostle Paul doesn't matter, he says. What matters is the treasure that I have. To be the light of the world, you need the light of Christ in you. If you don't have the light of Christ in you, you can't really be the light, right? Francis Chan, when he used to pastor a church, he asked his co-pastor, like associate pastors, can you tell me, like, can you tell me, does any one of you not pray for an hour, at least an hour a day? Please tell me if you don't pray at least an hour a day, because I'm going to fire you, he says. <gasps> so harsh. The, what, the reason why Francis Chan says, I'm going to fire you if you don't pray in one hour a day, is because he's saying, like what I'm saying, How can you have Christ in you if you don't commune with him? How can you you possibly say you have the light of Christ in you if you don't worship him, if you don't commune with him? The more you commune with him, the more his light shines through you, and that's true. You will be ineffective, Professor Chan says, if you don't have the light of Christ shining in you. But when the light of Christ starts to shine in you, you start to make a difference. I know plenty of pastors. They're not the best preachers in the world. In fact, some pastors, I listen to a sermon, I just fall asleep every time. Right? But they change their church. Not because of their oratory skills. Because you know that man lives with God. And such a man God uses to make changes in the world. I know guys who are very slick, very funny stories, very charismatic speakers, but no change. Because it is obvious that man does not spend time with the Lord. If you don't spend time with the Lord, his light will not shine through you. Jesus clearly said, do good works, right? In chapter, verse 16, do good works so that through your good works, other people will glorify God. And that's true. We are called to do good works. But if you do good works without the light of Christ, you will not be effective. You will not change anything. You cannot bring people out of darkness. You can't. All your teaching, all your praise leading, all your preaching, will not let people out of darkness unless you shine the light of Christ in you. You want, you want your husband and wife to change? Wives, I know you certainly want your husband to change. 
shine. Let, commune with Christ. Let his light shine through you. That's the way to do it. That's how you be an effective parent. That's how you be an effective daughter. That's how you become an effective son. That's how you become an effective worker in your place of work. The light of Christ. Jesus doesn't need your wisdom. Jesus doesn't need your life story. Jesus doesn't need, Jesus doesn't need all. What he needs is for you to be a light bearer. Bear his light. So that he can use you to shine his light into the dark world so that he can use you to lead people out of darkness. That's what your life is for. Whatever job that you go, wherever you end up working for and living, it doesn't matter. What matters is whether you're shining his light in the place that he has led you. May that be your purpose. May that be your vision for yourself. Let us pray. Father, we are called to be bearers of your light. We are called, you, 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 you use us to change the world. And the way you use us to change the world, to change the dark places of the world, is for you, for us, to shine your light into this dark world. We are not the source of light. You are the source of light. We can only bear your light is when we are in you, when you abide in us. Father, when you abide in us, regardless of what we don't have or have, Father, you can use to, make it, to, to, to bring people out of darkness. And that is true. It, is hap- it has happened in our church. It is happening in our families. Father, people are changing. People are con- being converted. And it is happening in our church. And that's true. I pray, Lord, that we will, you will continually shine your light brightly into our lives so that we may shine your light to the other people in our lives. Father, I pray for those of us who are raised in the church. I pray for those of us, Lord, who are serving the church. I pray, Lord, that help us understand that it is not our efforts, it is not our sacrifice that changes lives, but it is your light shining forth from us. Father, we don't, regardless of what, how talented we are, regardless of what knowledge we have, regardless of what experience that we have, these things don't mean anything unless your light shines forth from us. So for all of us who are involved in ministry, whether it is Sunday school ministry or word praise team or the preaching ministry or, or, or the ministry in our families of being a husband or a wife, wherever we are, Lord, let your word shine your light into our hearts so that we will be an agent of change. Father, for those of us, Lord, who are, who are in difficult places, for those of us in, in jobs that we do not like, for those of us, Lord, who are, who are just in difficult family situations, we pray that you will encourage us by making us see the reason why you have placed us there, it is to bear your light. And as we bear your light in these places, may we find the satisfaction in our workplace and may we find the satisfaction in our families. Father, the world is supposed to be broken. People are supposed to be broken. Work is supposed to be hard. People are supposed to be insane, and that's true. But in the midst of such insanity and difficulties, Lord, your light will encourage us and your light will be used to change other people. May we understand that. Help all of us, Lord, to be a worshiper of God. Help all of us to commune with you on a regular basis. Help all of us, Lord, to have our minds renewed with your word. Help, help all of us, Lord, for your spirit to be infilling in us, Lord, so that we will know Christ personally. And that may that knowledge, of personal knowledge of Christ, be effectively used for the evangelism of other people. Father, be with us as we pray. All these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.